You are now listening to the September 14th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and It's Time to Pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. This is Alan Heller, and we are walking our talk with Polly, my wife. Hello. And Steve Wagner once again with Revive 40. Hello. And Marla Wagner, Hi who there. is married to Steve Wagner. <laughs> I claim And them. they go together. Still. <laughs> how, how long have you been going together? 31 years. Oh, my Woo! goodness. And that, they remind me. That was a me. test. Yeah. <laughs> they both did it together. That's good. Yeah, when the man forgets that, the women are not very happy. <laughs> We're going to do our third podcast talking about Revive 40, which is a ministry that helps deal not only with addiction, but helps men and women become whole, not only in the sexual area, but also as people of the Lord who need to be walking out their talk, which is why our ministry is called Walk and Talk. And uh, we have resources available. You can go to walkandtalk.org. That's W-A-L-K-A-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. If you go to .com, you're in trouble. <laughs> and then uh, Revive 40 is just revive and the word 40, I mean the number 40.com. There are many resources there. We want to make sure that you, our listeners, get the resources you need to get the help you need as well. So today we're going to be talking about triggers. We're going to be talking about uh, not the horse for those who are baby boomers, but... <laughs> um, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. There was a cowboy show, Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and his horse was named Trigger. I'm sure that's very important. <laughs> yes, I know. Anyway, <laughs> so we're going to talk about there are triggers for men, there are triggers for women, and then the need to realize for the, on the women's side that uh, the, men, the men, we compartmentalize. I don't know if you've ever seen this wonderful video on YouTube. You can go to uh, Mark... Gunger, G-U-N-G-E-R, and it's called... O-R. Is it O-R? Mm -hmm. That's my spelling wife <laughs> uh, proofreader. So Gunger, and he has a, a little short video on a tale of two brains. And he does a great funny job and biblical job of talking about how crazy different men and women are. And probably you've noticed that if you've been married for more than five <laughs> minutes. So um, Tale of Two Brains, Mark Gunger, he has a seminar called Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage. Mm. But uh, to get back to what we're talking about, I want the ladies to talk a little bit. Marla, the thing, trust is really big. And you wanted to talk a little bit about what are the things that build trust when the trust has been devastated. I, mean, I remember a guy who told me, uh, you know, I've confessed, I, I've been doing pornography, I invited prostitutes to my house, blah, blah, blah. He did all this stuff. He confessed. He said, I'm clean. Uh, I want to get married. So, you know, went through premarital counseling and found out 
that after the marriage, he still was doing the same thing. And I said, you know, you lied to the pastor, you lied to me, you lied to your wife, but now, you know, he got help. He actually years ago went to one of the Refive 40 groups. And when he went, he said, I went to that thing and those guys are perverts. <laughs> and I laughed. I said, well, just go three weeks. And after three weeks, if you just evaluate and let me know what happens. And he goes the second week and, oh, that was really, I just, you know, I'm not like those people. And by the third week, he came into me and he said, I am one of those people. <laughs> and he didn't realize how bad his issue was. And his issue started with his sister's uh, shaming him and blaming him and mm. sort of persecuting him as the only male in his family as a little kid. They were older sisters. And then he got in, he got sexualized through uh, abuse. Somebody abused him. And then that's fo that followed him all his life. And then finally, he got in a group uh, mm. and, and saw that he needed help. And then eventually was able to go on to uh, the marriage didn't make it, but he was eventually able to get into another group and be one of the teachers in a in a uh, celebrate recovery group. Mm, that's the goal. But that took fifteen years. Wow. But talk about trust oh. and how it works, both men and women, but specifically for the women. Mm. Well, I think you made a great point. Is um, one of the things we try to help the women see is there are root issues. Um, for this behavior. So just like the alcoholic, the drug addict, this is um, their man's drug of choice. And it is not on them personally. It is not because of them um, that that they are doing whatever addiction they're doing or whatever, however it's playing out. Well, one of the things I see, they, they say almost Every woman that I have ever dealt with in a couple where she says, I caught him doing porn, why am I not mm. enough? Mm. That's the words that mm. I hear. I hear it all the time. And it's sort of like in a divorce family, you can say to the kids, we love you and it's not because of you. It's really mom and dad are having problems. But no matter what you say, those kids are damaged and they keep trying to do something to get their love from their folks. Or if I could do this, Absolutely. then... So the women start saying, if I could lose weight, mm -hmm. if I could be like those porn stars, mm -hmm. if I, and it's just such a false deception. Yeah, right. But how do you deal with it? Because I don't know how to deal with it. I'm a man. You, you got <laughs> to have a woman to deal with that. Uh, well, I think it's helpful when you hear other women saying the same exact thing, uh -huh. that I am, I don't feel enough. I feel devalued. You know, why? Um, but understanding that lying is a part of this addiction mm. and that you cannot trust what they say, but you can trust, you can start learning to trust what they do and to watch their behavior. So give me an so, example of how you've seen a woman do that or like a scenario so that people can understand what, what does that look like? Well, I think as, as the woman starts getting some help for herself and the husband is getting help, um, they ideally, maybe you could address that part, Steve, about what happens on the guy's end um, that's important. But for the woman, 
um, as she starts having, you know, the husband be an open book mm. and being willing, I, you know, he, she should be able to look at his phone at any time. You mean open it up anytime? Anytime. There needs to be, I mean, if she needs a tracker, if she needs. <laughs> well, and, and isn't there this uh, ministry called Covenant Eyes that is really helpful for accountability? Absolutely. Absolutely. But most men will say, oh, she shouldn't have. Why is she doing that? I, I'm fine. I asked her forgiveness. I'm okay. What would you say? You don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> it's at least a year, at least a year. Mm. And behavior will show a man's true repentance. Mm. So for her to be watching him, you know, getting up, doing his studies, doing his work, um, him making the initiative to... That's a biggie, I find. Huge. That if the man is actually willing, instead of... Because usually this happens when he gets caught mm-hmm. in his sin. Mm-hmm. And so when he becomes the man that God wants him to be, who is supposed to be the initiator and the priest of his home, and one of those things is initiating his relationship with God, as well as initiating to her, he's to love her as Christ loved the church. Well, would you be doing this stuff? Is that loving your wife like Christ loved the church? Mm. If Christ was here, what do you think he would think of that? Mm. He would turn his eyes probably, you know? Yeah. Well, I have a question about accountability um, because you're talking about the covenant eyes and a woman having access to a guy's phone and being able to see what websites he's been on and so on. So how much accountability can a wife exert mm-hmm. in That's her relationship question. with her husband and yet still maintain a healthy husband-wife relationship balance within the marriage. Well, it's it, there's so many different people and how they deal with this. You know, you almost have to take individual cases. But from the husband's side, being an open book is something we talk about all the time. We, we need to have our phones and encourage our wives anytime you want, honey, to rebuild trust. You know, let your wife go and look at your phone. Well, trust look, is built by openness, mm-hmm. not by mm-hmm. concealing. Absolutely. Look, Allow them to look at your checkbook. Mm. You know, they should know where the money is. Receipts that are coming in. Uh, they're they're uh, tracking things for the phone today, like find my iPhone and, mm-hmm. and uh, what's the other one, honey? The friends? <laughs> find friends. Find my friends. Yeah. Right. You can track whoever. I mean, and what's funny is I had this guy one time where he had his phone, but then he got another phone. Mm-hmm. So she's mm-hmm. tracking him with the phone that he's doing the right things, but he's got the other phone where he's doing the wrong things. And he's hooking up with this gal and all this stuff. I mean, yeah. that's a person who has a, an issue with deception. <laughs> this is a guy that really doesn't want to be helped. He's duplicitous. Right. What can you do for a guy like that? Uh, God's got to really touch his heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we pray with him. We challenge them. Uh, eventually, you know, like Alan said, somebody was lying to him for a long time in his counseling session. 
there's nothing you can do for a man that's going to sit there and, and lie to you about mm-hmm. his sobriety. Um, mm-hmm. So, but God typically does show up in those men's lives or he catches them. Right. Uh, you know, I can tell you a hundred different ways guys <laughs> got caught. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, God will bring them to the table and expose that, that sin at some point. Right. Um, but it's, so to me, that's the difference between Revive 40 and just some... Uh, support group? Or? Yeah, a support group or a behavior modification program. Like you're really dealing with a man's soul. Their heart. And with his, yeah, with his heart, with his spirit. Because as a Christian, he says he wants to have a relationship with God. He wants to have his life be an open book before the Lord. So he can't have this whole major section of his life locked away as a do not enter like Alan was saying earlier, men have to car- compartmentalize those things uh, to go do the things they're doing. If they're a Christian man, they can't uh, go and act out and do these behaviors unless they're compartmentalizing and taking mm-hmm. God and putting right. him off the side. If mm-hmm. they stop long enough to think what they're doing in God's eyes and whether it's pleasing or not, they're not going to act out. But that's one of the things they've got to learn to uh, allow God to speak into them right. that and break down those walls of compartmentalizing. And, and uh, mm-hmm. he, he does that over time. I wanted to just comment on that accountability part that um, it's helpful to have a weekly meeting where you're getting together with your spouse and um, without a lot of details, um, the husband can share, you know, how he's doing because there's been so much dishonesty mm-hmm. and and no true intimacy where the husbands often have a very hard time um, identifying their feelings, being transparent, um, and typically the marriage has been a little shallow just because of the hiding. And so to start rebuilding that every week where the woman can un- can see he's going to his meetings, you know, he's mm-hmm. calling his accountability partners. Um, and she can ask questions without, you know, details. And I think that's really helpful for beginning to build trust. And then he can ask her, how are you doing? Right. You know, what have you been going through this week? How, how has this affected you? Yeah. So I think that's an important aspect, too, for helping her begin to regain some trust. Right. Yeah. You know, Alan mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast the word triggers. And mm-hmm. I think of triggers as uh it's something that initiates an addictive behavior in somebody. So I've always thought of triggers as, as something that's on the addiction side, where the guy <laughs> sees something or sees something and it, it sends him off into his addiction. But you also mentioned triggers in terms of the wives. So what kinds of triggers are there mm. that occur in the lives of the, the wives of these men? That's a great question. There are so many effects for a woman. Um, typically, the the behavior that he showed in the middle of his sin, um, irritability, hiding, shortness, um, clicking off his phone right away, making excuses. When those things start cropping back up, there's this. I just heard it last night. I start fe- the women start feeling like okay, something's going on. Um, it could be 
uh, seeing a prostitute on the on the side of this road, that, hmm. or that can be a trigger. It can be um, an ad that pops up on her phone that she sees. It's a mm, inappropriate type ad. Yeah, anything that triggers that, and often it can just be a thought or something that comes back up that they remember. Yeah. And the PTSD is very real, the panic attacks, that they can be in the middle of the grocery store and maybe a woman comes by that reminds them of somebody that her husband was with. And right then and there, you know, a full-blown panic attack, Yeah. trying to walk through this going, I'm just, I'm an emotional basket wow. case. Wow. So you mentioned the panic attack. Um, like what other kinds of things happen with these women? What other kinds of responses are triggered by these? Uh, women handle it in different ways. Either, you know, they, they don't want to get out of bed. They're depressed. Some women go the other direction. They want to ha- They go out and have an affair and say, let me let you know what it feels like. Mm. Um, trying to keep life together while they've got kids they just stuff it. There's the the full-blown panic attacks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Can eating. A lot, a lot of us <laughs> uh, turn to food mm-hmm. to yeah. cope. Yeah, buying, but mm-hmm. <laughs> just yeah. excessive purchasing. <laughs> yeah, there's so many different ways we handle the pain and learning to go to God to let Him, to let Him begin to heal us, is the goal. Mm. Mm. So what do you say to a woman who blames herself for her husband's sexual addiction problems? Do you ever counter that? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) We say you need to get help Mm. Yeah, because that is the enemy's plan. That's your husband's plan to flip it around. And um, instead of dealing with it himself to make you feel like this is your fault, if you had done something better, something different, and often it's it's full-blown codependency in that case and and helping them walk through that this is not their fault and they need to um, have somebody come alongside them to help them set up some some loving boundaries yeah so we're about to wrap it up we have only like done a thimble full of what you could talk about in this um, but we're very thankful that you were willing to come and spend some time with us if somebody was out there right now and needed help like give what you each would feel like you know if you're in this place and you're in shame and guilt and and couldn't go to anybody for help what would you say to them what would the message be to that person from your heart They've got to be part of a group. They've mm-hmm. got to have people in their lives that they're they're sharing what they're dealing with, uh, because shame and guilt grows in in that uh, in that hiding process. So mm-hmm. uh, there's nothing more important than you know we talk about it all the time: no secrets mm-hmm. and total honesty. If you really want to get free of an addiction, those two things have to absolutely happen. And typically, uh, you've got to have people in your life that you're uh, doing that with. And don't you think, I mean, be, even before the group, sometimes they just need a person mm-hmm. that they can tell mm-hmm. this to yes. because right. the group is yeah. pretty threatening. I mean, we think it's real easy because we're doing them, we're teaching them, et cetera. But at the beginning, somebody is hiding and, and going, when I've told somebody about this, then they go, 
oh my gosh, you're doing that? You know, well, I mean, I they mean, don't say that, but how that's can, how it comes across. How can people even find your groups? Like, it's not something that is going yeah, you to be don't, announced yeah, from the so pulpit <laughs> at church. How, how do they find out about Revive 40? Well, and that's what we're working at changing. Uh, up to this point, it's been when people go to counseling for, to their pastor or, or disclosure of, of what they've been doing with a pastor or a counselor, that's typically how they find our group today. Uh, we want eventually that, it, you know, everybody in Phoenix, all the pastors, all the counselors know about Revive 40, and they they uh, start educating their congregations on that. Uh, the people will know where to go. Uh, and I think that is probably one of the biggest problems today is guys don't know where to go. They go online. They can't find anything. Mm, it's a lot easier to find the porn than it is to <laughs> find the way out. Unfortunately, they do a better <laughs> job than the church. Okay. How about you, Marla? If a woman was wanting help, what would you say to her? I would say don't be discouraged from the standpoint that God sees it. He knows what's going on, and um, he is right there with you, mm-hmm. and He will. there is hope in him. And as you reach out, there's online. We've had people that have, have found stuff online that they've been able to find a group that way or a counselor to talk to, and to it, it, you've got to share it. Mm-hmm. Steve's absolutely right, is you've got to share can I finish with just saying one thing is that, you know, in the 20 years of doing this, we have watched men come in the into the group that said, my marriage is over. This is never, mm. ever, you know, she won't even talk to me. Uh, they're living in separate places. And we've watched family after family, marriage after marriage, uh, seen them restored and uh, where it looks like there's no possible way there can be healing. Some of those people today have some of the best marriages mm. I know. And wow. God is going to use this to give you the marriage you've always wanted. Mm. Great. If you let him. <laughs> so we're really excited that you are here. If you want help, go to Revive 40, R-E-V as in victory, I-V-E 40, the number 40.com. And also you can go to our website, Walk and Talk. Dot com Or no, org. it's not dot .com. <laughs> it's dot .org. Walkandtalk.org. And I want to just leave us with this scripture. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all. Therefore, all died. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We're praying you will do that and walk your talk. See you next time. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org. Glory. Mm-hmm.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor David Platt of Radical. Today's topic is The Secret to Living the High Life. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor David. If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does, you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to 1 Kings chapter 2, as that actually leads, in a sense, right into what I want us to think about today in God's Word. So if you pull out the notes, that hopefully you received in the back of the bulletin when you came in, you'll see at the top, the secret to living the high life. So that's a reference to a phrase we use in this world to describe experiencing the best life possible, the good life. It's what everybody wants, right? And I want to show you in God's word today that this desire to experience the good life is good. It's from God. The desire to experience life to the full is a God-given desire and a God-given promise. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came so that you might have life and have it to the full, abundant life. So messages, even like last week about sacrifice for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, it might make you think that Christianity is only about sacrifice as an end in and of itself, but that's not true. Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, but it's so that we might experience new life, abundant life, a full life, happy life, the high life, if you will. So the question is, How do you experience that? 
And this is where the word of God gives us a much different answer than the world around us. And for the next few minutes, I want to plead with you to hear the word of God and to trust God's word more than you do this world when it comes to living the high life. Now, the reason I use this phrase, the high life, is because this week in our Bible reading, we just read the height of Old Testament history in 1 Kings 2 through 8, the beginning of Solomon's reign as king over God's people. So in our Bible reading, the story of Scripture, it's been centuries now that God has promised to bless his people, form them into a nation, bring them into a promised land, and come a blessing to the nations around them. As we read 1 Kings chapter 2 through 8, God's people are now in a land as a nation, bringing blessing to the nations. Let me show you this. Start with me in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, as David, so Israel's most famous king, passes on his throne to his son Solomon. Follow along in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rule and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Did you hear that? So in Old Testament history, this marks, so if you're following along in those notes, this marks the height of reverence for God's word. Saul, who had been king, had not revered the word of God. God said to Saul back in 2 Samuel, your kingdom shall not continue. You have not kept the commandments the Lord gave you, and the Lord has sought after a man, after his own heart, will revere his word. And David did, evident in the Psalms we've read over the last couple of weeks. This is one of the things I love about reading through the Bible chronologically like we're doing, because at the same time we're reading First and Second Samuel and First Kings, we're also reading different Psalms because they were written during this height of Old Testament history. So Psalms, this book that starts by saying, so this was our memory verse last week, it'll be on the screen, let's say it out loud together and across all our campuses and close your eyes if you've memorized it. Here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. A lot of eyes open there. There's a lot of eyes open. All right. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Keep reading with me in the very next verse. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That sounds like the high life, right? In everything you do, you prosper. Sounds good. So how does that happen? Like this doesn't sound like God wants his people to be miserable. It happens through 
delighting in the law of the Lord. This is the prosperous, blessed, the happy life. David wrote Psalm 19 that we looked at last week. Remember the words there. God's word revives the soul, rejoices the heart. It's better than gold. It's better than fine foods, and it lasts forever. This is the high life, and it's found in reverence for God's word, which is why, so here in 1 Kings 2, what does a dying father say to his son? About to go the way of all the earth? Be strong, show yourself a man, keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his commandments, rules, and testimonies, as it's written, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. This is the high life. The high life is found in reverence for God's word. And second, in dependence on God's wisdom. So what's happening here in Old Testament history is the height of dependence on God's wisdom. So we read this this last week in 1 Kings chapter 3. Follow along there with me as I read aloud. I'll start in verse 5. 1 Kings 3, 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart toward you. And you've kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for a multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? And it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and not ask for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Oh, sometimes our family plays a game when we're around the dinner table. We've got an app that we use. That just We ask each other thought-provoking questions. And one of them recently was, if you could wish for one thing, what would it be? And I'm not going to share you all the answers that were represented around our table, but I will say this. I don't think any of us asked for wisdom. That's the one thing Solomon, when faced with this choice, all the things he could have asked for in this world, he asks for wisdom, and God is pleased. God answers in a way that far exceeds what Solomon had asked. That leads to a story at the end of this chapter that illustrates Solomon's wisdom, and it closes with this conclusion. Look at the very end of the chapter, verse 28. All Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Then you jump down to the end of the next chapter, Chapter 4, verse 29. So this was not in our Bible reading this last week, but it's a pretty incredible summary of the height of dependence on God's wisdom here. God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahol and his... Fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 
3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005, not four or six, 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that's in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. So this is why in our reading through the story of scripture, we are now in the book of Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom sayings because many, most of them were written by Solomon. Old Testament here, this was the height of dependence on God's wisdom. And then third, this was the height of extravagance in God's worship. So now jump down to chapter six, verse one, where we read this. In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. And the verses that follow go on to describe the construction of the temple. Now, let me set the context here if you're totally new to the Bible, or maybe if you've been a Christian for a long time, but nobody's ever kind of walked you through the story of Scripture, and it just seems like a bunch of disjointed books, you're not sure how it all fits together. Let me set the context here. Very beginning of the Bible, book of Genesis, God and man are together in perfect harmony, but then sin in man's heart separates him and her from God. So separated from the presence of God, that leads to the second book in the Bible, the book of Exodus, where God sets up a way for his presence to dwell among his people in a special way, among those who trust in him. So the Bible teaches that God is omnipresent. We actually read that in Psalm 139 this last week, he's everywhere, but in a special way, God set up a tabernacle, basically like a tent, as a symbol of his presence among his people while they traveled to the land that he had promised them. So God's presence was over the tabernacle and a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night throughout all their journeys. That's how the book of Exodus ends. So now they're finally in the land King David wants to build a more permanent structure for God's presence and glory to dwell in, but God says, wait, Solomon will do that. So now that's what's happening here. Over the course of seven years, a picture of perfection, Solomon constructs the temple. And when you get to chapter eight, a transition takes place as the ark of God, symbolizing the presence of God in the center of the tabernacle, is brought into the temple. Go there with me, 1 Kings chapter eight. Look with me at verse four. Read what happens there. They brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark. So the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel. We've read about all this when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So this is the height of, Old Testament, of worship in Old Testament history as the glory of God is now dwelling among his people in the temple. 
And extravagant is the right word for their worship here. As you read these chapters, you see the best builders are assembled, the best materials are used, and they are all out celebrating here. All the people are present. They're offering more sacrifices than they can count. Just imagine the scene. Put yourself in the shoes of an ordinary Israelite who for all your life has been bringing sacrifices to a tent with a few articles of gold and bronze. Now everything is magnified as God is glorified in greater ways than you ever even thought of. Look down in verse 22 here as Solomon praises God for the culmination of all his promises. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, you have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand, you fulfilled it to this day. It's all coming to pass. And then it just jumped down at the end of the chapter. This, this all comes together. Height of reverence for God's word, dependence on God's wisdom, extravagance in God's worship. Look at verse 54. 1 Kings 8, 54. Now as Solomon finished offering all this prayer and plea to the Lord, he arose from before the altar of the Lord where he had knelt with hands outstretched toward heaven and he stood and he blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke by Moses his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us that he may incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his rules, which he commanded our fathers. Let these words of mine with which I have pleaded before the Lord be near to the Lord our God day and night, and may he maintain the cause of his servant, the cause of his people of Israel, of his people Israel, as each day requires, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord your God, walking in his statutes, and keeping his commandments as at this day. That phrase in verse 60, this wasn't just about the people of Israel. This was about all the peoples, exactly what we talked about last week. This is the story of scripture. Mission is not just a side note. It's at the center. God always blesses his people for the spread of his glory among all peoples. In fact, we skipped over it. Look back real quick, back up at verse 41. Read what Solomon prayed there in verse 41. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel, that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. Oh, see it over and over and over again. Global mission is not just a program in the church. It's the purpose of God in the world. So get the picture here. The nations are coming to see the glory of God at the temple, which is why just turn one more place, two chapters later, 1 Kings chapter 10, you gotta see this. So why did God give his people his word? Why did God give Solomon such wisdom? God did it for the spread of his worship in the world. So that, 1 Kings 10, so a pagan queen, Queen Sheba, comes and sees the temple, sees Solomon's wisdom, listen to her conclusion in verse four. 1 Kings 10, four. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered to the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. 
And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes have seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who is delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Did you hear that? This is a pagan queen giving glory to God. Why? Because God's people are happy. They're happy. And why are they happy? Because they revere the word of God. They have the wisdom of God and they're giving worship to God. And Queen Sheba concludes, this is the high life. So God help us to see what a pagan queen saw. This is the high life. What in the world does this story from the Bible have to do with our lives today, with your life today? What we just read is a story about God and you and me and us because the same God whose word is being revered here, who's giving wisdom here, who's being worshiped here, this same God desires for you right where you are sitting to be happy, to be blessed, to be abundant. So does that mean we need to get busy building a temple and offer tons of sacrifices as a nation, a kingdom with a wise king? No. Well, actually kind of yes, but in a much greater way than we might think. And in a much greater way than these people in the Old Testament could have imagined. So I want you to see the path to living the high life today in light of the heights we're seeing here. Do you want to live the high life today? I exhort you, do not listen to this world. Listen to God's word. That's the first thing. Love the word of God. Like, love it. Because Psalm 1, 1 and 2 is still true. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Happy, full, abundant is the life that delights in the law of the Lord. Psalm 19 is even more true now than it was then. In God's word, there is great reward. And I say even more true now because we have more of God's word now than they had in 1 Kings. And we have the entire Bible, 66 inspired books that tell us not just part of the story, but tell us the whole story, how it all began, how it's all gonna end. We have the word of God sitting in front of us in written form, the Bible. You get to the New Testament, so the last section of the Bible where everything climaxes in the coming of Jesus. And listen to how we're introduced to Jesus in the Gospel of John. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The revelation of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. God ultimately reveals himself to us, how? In Jesus, his son who comes to us. Verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. Jesus has made God known to us. So don't just love this word in written form, love the word, the revelation of God in the flesh. Put it together, the high life is found in loving Jesus. Yes, you want to live the high life? Love the word 
of God and trust the wisdom of God. I think about the entire book of Proverbs filled with wisdom from God. Just think about Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 for a minute. We'll actually read this tomorrow in our Bible reading. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. It's the good life. So follow this. We think we are wise. We think we know what is best for our lives. We don't. And God is our creator. He loves us. And he just so happens to be all wise. Your life, I guarantee you, your life will change when you realize that God knows better than you what is best for your life. Knowledge, perspective, and experience. And you realize we are limited in all those areas, which is why we make unwise decisions. Think with me about God's unlimited wisdom because God has perfect knowledge. God always has all the facts. God never finds out something later and says, I would have done something different if I'd have known that. He's omniscient. He already knows that. It never happens. God always acts in light of all the facts because he has perfect knowledge. God has eternal perspective on everything. God understands how any circumstance and every decision will affect any and every person. And not just now, but he sees the effects now and for all of eternity, which is why God calls us to trust him in the dark when we don't understand. God sees things we don't see. And finally, God has infinite experience. He is not a rookie. God is eternal, seeing it all things at all times for all of eternity, and his experience is infinite. So are you and I really going to say that we know better than God what is best for our lives? God, help us to see our foolishness. Do you want to experience the high life? Trust the wisdom of God over your own ways, your own plans, your own thoughts, and by all means over what a sinful world says is best for your life. Don't believe it. And then take this a step deeper. You want to experience the high life even when life is hard? Think about when you go through hard days, hard years. You have all kinds of questions, valid questions. Yet the reality is, even then, so this is why Job, Psalms, Proverbs are all considered wisdom literature in the Bible. Job, amidst all of his suffering, It's considered a wisdom book because even in hard days, the reality is we lack knowledge, perspective, and experience. And God says in his kindness and love for us in the middle of dark days, trust me with all your heart. How can you trust him? Here's how you can trust him because you know that his knowledge is perfect. You know that God knows all things and God knows what is best in all things. You can trust God because his perspective is eternal. He sees all things, their effect on all peoples for all of eternity. You can trust him because you know God has infinite experience. He's not new to this thing. He always knows what he's doing. This is the wisdom of God that is a rock to stand on in our our trials. I'm not saying this makes trials easy. I think about people walking through all kinds of trials right now in your life. I don't suppose this makes trials easy, but isn't it good to know that what you see is not all there is. When we were struggling through years of infertility, we could not see the plan God had to bless our family through adoption. We had no idea in our hurt and in our questions what God was doing 
simultaneously to our crying out why in a baby boy's life in Kazakhstan who didn't have a mom or dad. What he would do in the years to come in a precious little princess's life in China. Or what he's doing even now in a child we're waiting to meet. That's just one example. I think about families with special needs all across this church family who experience hard lives. Like, so is this the high life? It is when you know the all-wise God of the universe loves you and loves your child, promises to be with you and to give you everything you need with hope that a hard life in this world is not the end of the story. Oh, this is the gospel. Follow with me here. The story of scripture is not a story of ease, everything going perfectly. The story of scripture is a story of hurting people in a fallen world experiencing all kinds of suffering, but don't miss this. God is not distant from us in our suffering. And because of the wisdom of God, we have the hope of God. What we see is not all there is. And this is most powerfully illustrated in the cross of Christ. What 1 Corinthians 1 calls the pinnacle of God's wisdom. Why is that? Think about why is the suffering of God's son, his brutal death on a cross, the pinnacle of God's wisdom. Here's why. Because in that moment, God had perfect knowledge of every single one of our sins. And in God's eternal perspective, he was making a way for you and me to be saved from our sins. Jesus died on a cross in the darkest day on earth. The creator in the flesh murdered by his creation. That was not the end of the story. With an all-wise God, there's always more to the story. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead in victory over all sin and all suffering and all death. And in the wisdom of God, the way was made for you and me to sit here 2,000 years later in Metro Washington, D.C., saved from our sins with the hope of eternal life, with the hope that hard days in this world are not the end of the story. You want to experience the high life? Even when life is hard, you trust in the wisdom of God who sees everything from beginning to end and is faithful to bring us to the end. As the story of scripture continues, there comes a day when Jesus, God in the flesh, goes to the cross to pay the price for sinners. And when you read Matthew 27, verse 51, as soon as Jesus dies on the cross, the Bible says, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And in that moment, the way was made open for sinners to come into the presence of God. So if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, please listen closely to this. Yes, in the beginning of the Bible, we read about how sin separated man and woman from God in a way that has rung true in every single one of our lives. All of us have sinned against God. All of us are separated from God, the one who created us and loves us. The penalty for sin is death. And if we die in this state of separation in our sin, we will spend eternity separated from his love. But God has not left us alone in this state. God has come to us in the person of Jesus. You may be wondering, does everything come back to him? Yes, it does. Jesus is at the center of it all. Why? Because after living a perfect life with no sin, unlike anyone else, even though he had no sin to die for, he chose to die for you and for me, for your sin and for my sin. 
And then, as we talked about three days later, he rose from the dead so that anybody can come to God through him. In fact, the story gets even more glorious because after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and he promised that he was going to send his spirit not down into a building that people would construct, but in the lives of every single person who trusts in him. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, which is why, so I put this one on the screen, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, talking to Christians, those who put their faith in Jesus, the Bible says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Are you hearing this? For all who put your faith in Jesus individually, you're the temple. When you place your faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. That is reason for extravagant worship. You don't have to go to a building to do it. Your body is the place of worship. Your life, a life of worship. So make it extravagant, meaning lay down all your life in worship of God. And not just individually, but as a church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, talking to the church, says, you yourselves, plural, are God's temple and God's spirit lives in you. So this is true of us individually and it's true of us as a church. We are the temple. Like, God's spirit is dwelling among us right now. God's glory is dwelling among us right now. This is not just a ho-hum Sunday morning. This is awesome. God's glory is dwelling among us as his people. So let's make our worship extravagant. Let's sing and shout and lift our hands and kneel and bow down, lift our lives and worship to our God. We are the temple. Oh, get the picture. Like this week, God has designed temples of the Holy Spirit from all across this gathering, all kinds of different locations across, all commissioned to make the grace and glory of God known where we work and where we live in the lives of people who God loves and wants to bring to himself. We do this individually and together. So this is why, this is why we're planting churches like City Light Church with Nate Crew, other churches throughout New City Network because we want more temples, more gatherings of God's people who are displaying God's glory all over the city, all over the world. And this is the high life. What life is higher than this? Than a life that loves the word of God, that trusts in the wisdom of God, and that lives for the worship of God in the world. This is the high life. This is the happy life. Life in God, living for Jesus in life that lasts forever. So now it makes sense. Now it makes sense, doesn't it? If we could just get this, realize this, the last thing there in your notes, the secret to living the high life today is living for the one in whom happiness lasts forever. The secret of the high life is living for and in the one who guarantees abundant eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, I exhort you, live it up like this today. Will you bow your heads with me? God, hear your word and believe it, like to receive it today. There's so many... Just coming into this gathering, even right now, I feel like I'm speaking to men and women, students, children, who spend uh, all week long hearing all kinds of messages in this world about how to experience life to the full. And there are so many lies. And I've got, we have a few minutes with your word. And so we pray that you just do a supernatural work. In this few minutes, open our eyes to the lies of this world and to the truth of your word and help us to live. God, please, I pray for this. I 
plead for this for every person within the sound of my voice, God, please. May they find life and love for your word. May they find life and dependence on your wisdom, trusting in you. If they've never trusted in Jesus, may they put their trust in Jesus today. Trust in you, Jesus, to lead them this week, to follow your ways, to walk in your ways. And God, may you give grace to trust in you in dark days. And life's hard helps to fulfill our glorious privilege and purpose as temples of your Holy Spirit, spreading your grace and your love and your mercy and your glory. Help us to live the high life according to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I was buried beneath my shame Who could carry that kind of weight It was my turn Till I made I was breathing but not Alive All my failures I tried To hide It was my dream Till I made You called my name And I ran out of that you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's program or even download them on your device in just a few minutes. 
Search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes stores now. Coming up next is It's Time to Pray the Bible. Hello, my name is Deborah Choi. I'm the host of this program. It's time to pray the Bible. I would like to start today's program with a quote by Pastor John Piper. The God who keeps watch over the nations, this God still speaks in the 21st century. I heard His very words. He spoke personally to me. What effect did this have on me? It filled me with a fresh sense of God's reality. It assured me more deeply that He acts in history and in our time. It strengthened my faith that He is for me and cares about me and will use His global power to watch over me. Why else would He come and tell me these things? It has increased my love for the Bible as God's very word because it was through the Bible that I heard these divine words and through the Bible I have experiences like this almost every day. The very God of the universe speaks on every page into my mind and your mind. And best of all, they are available to all. Oh, how precious is the Bible! It is the very Word of God. In it, God speaks in the 21st century. This is the very voice of God. By this voice, He speaks with absolute truth and personal force. By this voice, He reveals His all-surpassing beauty. By this voice, He reveals the deepest secrets of our hearts. No voice anywhere, anytime can reach as deep or lift as high or carry as far as the voice of God that we hear in the Bible. My brothers and sisters, isn't it amazing that the God of the universe wants to speak to us in His Word? Are you personally experiencing the power and the beauty of hearing the voice of God in your life? The first scripture reading is from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, 14, 15, and 27. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The next scripture reading 
is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The last Scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's pray. Lord, your name is so great and powerful. You're full of beauty and holy splendor. Your glorious majesty streams from the heavens, filling the earth with the fame of your name. Your word, which is living and full of power, penetrates to the very core of our being and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our hearts. There is not one person who can hide their thoughts from you, holy God. Every scripture has been written by your Spirit, the breath of God. It empowers us by its instruction and correction giving us the strength to take the right direction and lead us deeper into the path of godliness and intimacy. So we'll be fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill every divine assignment. Father, we are amazed by your compelling love that the God of the universe desires to speak to us and longs to connect with us heart to heart. Holy Spirit, prepare our hearts and give us ears to sensitively hear the gentle whisper of your still small voice. Speak to us, Lord. We are listening. Your voice of truth will change our sadness to joy, anxiety to peace, fear to faith, despair to hope, and death to life. O oh Lord our God, there is none like you. You have so many tender thoughts towards us with countless expressions of love. All our passion has been devoted to you, the eternal God of heavenly armies. Incline our hearts to your testimonies and your words of divine wisdom. God of glory, open our eyes to see the miracle wonders hidden in your word and make us intelligent in discerning and knowing you personally in the true revelation of your glorious light. What an endless joy to hear your voice in your living word. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Streams of mercy.
mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Praise the mountain fixed upon it Mount of God's redeeming love Here I raise my We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week.